News Talk 1110-993-WBT. WBT. Talking about the historic overturning of Roe v. Wade, it occurred earlier today. The Supreme Court issued its ruling in the Dobbs case. Uh, I saw Ed Whelan point out that uh, he apparently did a comparison between the leaked document and the final ruling that came out today. Uh, He only found one section that was different. So I'll get to that as well as the Star 8 Decisive stuff. But if you want to weigh in on this, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Those are the phone numbers. You can also email Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. And that is Calendar with a K, followed by an A, and then an L. And give me an I. Give me an N. E-R. That spells Calendar. Okay. And remember, get the podcast at WBT.com. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the program. How are you? I'm fine. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. What's going on? What's up? Well, my thing on this uh, abortion thing is I think they want everybody to get so used to it that it's okay with everything. Then they're going to go after the handicapped or the disabled people. And then later on, they'll go after the old people, anybody who's not productive. I think that's what this is really about. There is a uh, there's an element of coarsening the soul, coarsening a culture to death. Um, I think that there is a part of that. Look, I believe evil exists. I believe good exists. I believe evil exists. And I believe there are people that, yes, uh, are, are treading down a pathway of evil intent. Absolutely. Um, I also um, I do I I understand history. I was just going over with Bernie during the break about what happened in Germany after World War One when they hyperinflated their currency after making health care a line item in their budget. And when the Nazis took over, what did they have to do? They had to make they had to save money somehow. So uh, they just started wiping out the infirmed, the crippled, um, the impaired. Right. I mean, that, that's how you save money when you hyperinflate your currency and you can't afford anything anymore. And so this was what they did. And if you have no if you have no respect for human life, why wouldn't you go down that path? Right. Well, I think I think we got to worry about history repeating itself in this way. And I think a lot of times people don't realize they might have aborted a kid that was going to be the one who solved cancer yeah. or something else or might even solve covid you never know right right well that would wait but fauci's already here <laughs> no yeah, I that's can't. the biggest joke we've got in congress right there or in in washington that we didn't know about yeah exactly uh hey uh mark i appreciate the call sir thank you thank uh, you have a good day i mean you too I, and this is the thing i understand how people may hear that and be shocked oh that'll never happen that can't possibly happen well, why not? There are states, euthanasia is legal now, right? There are states that allow that. There are nations that allow that. And look, the lowercase l libertarian in me says, you know, look, if I want to end my own life, that should be my call. I'm very hesitant about turning that responsibility over to other people, though, especially if they're in the government, because then they may not have my best interests at heart. Uh but, uh, but the principle of the thing, I get. But I also understand that there are very few limiting principles to the postmodernist leftist ideology that we are witnessing today. There, there really is. What, what is the limitation? As I was going over before uh, the end of the, uh, the last hour, 
when you talk about when rights attach to the unborn and when you have conversations with people on the left who say essentially that they don't attach until birth, until the child has completely exited the woman's body. Because any time prior to that, it's the woman's body, it's her choice. And so you could, so the, the limiting principle, if there is a limit to it, is that I can destroy that human life before it is fully birthed, right? See, these are the discussions that clarify, and because of that, I think for a long time, people in media and talk radio have veered away from this stuff because of the squeamishness, you know, because it's evil. And that's what uh, the Center for Medical Progress, David Delighton, we are indebted to him. We are. Because what he did with the undercover videos from Planned Parenthood, he forced us to look. He forced us to look. And the stuff that's going on is barbaric. It is. That needs to be part of all the conversations that occur at the state level. By the way, I would also point out um, that most abortions, I believe, nowadays are actually done with the pill in the immediate aftermath. Uh, let me go over here to Shannon. Welcome to the program. Hello, Shannon. Uh, yeah, hey. hey. You're doing well. I am. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's the president's duty to uphold the Constitution, mm-hmm. to defend and uphold it. Mm-hmm. It's not his duty to defend and uphold those the opinions of the left. He Th- said. He said in his speech that uh, it was a constitutional right that was being stripped away from women. No, it's not in the Constitution. Right. No, you are correct. Alito and the majority opinion said, we hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, uh, which is the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Right. They, They said that. There is no constitutional right to an abortion. It's not there. No, and this sort of brings out, I try to be a little bit humorous here. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of the Monty Python movie. I can't remember which one, but they were going around saying, bring out your dead, bring out your, bring out your dead. And the old man says, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> and, he, and he hits him over the head. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, sad, it's sad. I mean, it's heartbreaking that they're treating our babies like this. Well, sure. Yeah. No, I got you. Shannon, thanks for the call. I do appreciate it. All right. It's not in the Constitution. It's not there. Oh, but it's been interpreted to, 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 uh, to be included in that. Well, I'll tell you what. Here's a better way to do it. Make a law. Write a law. And now you'll have the ability to write law at the state level, too. State legislatures are now going to get a lot more attention and power, as they should. As they should. I See, I am all about... Um, Diffusing power, removing power out of Washington, D.C. And this does have a tie into, quote, the swamp, right? Because the swamp exists with the deep state or the bureaucracy or whatever you want to call it, right? That exists and that entire culture exists because of the consolidation of federal power. When you put all the power up there, then all the money flows to a single place. 
And everybody knows that they can just send a whole army of lobbyists to one city and they can lobby that one body and then they can get laws passed for the whole country. It's a lot more difficult to do that in 50 different state capitals. That's why you want diffused power. So my friends who are pro-choice, my friends on the other side of this issue, welcome to federalism. You should embrace this. Go to work at your local level. Go to work at your state level for the topics and the issues that you care most about. Go there. Because this is what federalism is supposed to be. And if North Carolina has a law that you like or don't like, then you work to get that law changed. That's how it's supposed to work. And if North Carolina's law is the good law or the bad law when compared to another state, we'll find out pretty soon. In fact, we're probably going to find out pretty soon what happens because all the states around us apparently had trigger laws and banned it. And we're the only one now that's got it after 20 or before 20 weeks, which, by the way, 20 weeks, that's generally in line with what the rest of the uh, Western world and uh, the, the industrialized world has, despite what the president tried to allege earlier in his speech today. No, we're not an outlier because states are still allowed to have abortions. They can actually go well beyond the norm as compared to the rest of the world. I think ours is somewhere like the only nations that had uh, restrictions as late as ours were like North Korea and Iran or something. I know. Great company to be in. couple of tweets at Pete Callender. It's a Pete tweet. We got one from at Patriot Girl who says, Politicians cannot interfere in decisions that should be between a woman and her doctor. Except, of course, when it comes to those vaccines, right? Uh, Todd said, Pete, the president just said during his speech that one of our bedrock rights is the right to travel. Where was this during the COVID lockdowns? Yeah, exactly. It's the, the hypocrisy has been on full display, the double standards, full display. Uh, this is from Stu Bergier. He is one of the uh, producers, uh, one of the sidekicks, uh, one of the guys that interrupts Glenn Beck during his show all the time. Anyway, Stu says, and wide world of Stu, although it looks like now it's called Stu Does America. Anyway, neither decision has, this is right from the uh, opinion. He took a screenshot of this. Neither decision, either Roe or Casey, has ended debate over the issue of a constitutional right to obtain an abortion. Indeed, in this case, 26 states expressly ask us to overrule Roe and Casey and to return the issue of abortion to the people and their elected representatives. This court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement and telling the people to move on. Well, wait a minute, then. Well, then what are leftists going to do? That's like, like their entire jam. That's all. Just listen to me. I'm telling you what to do. Now do it. That's it. That's their, that's, that's their persuasion. <laughs> Whatever influence the court may have on public attitudes must stem from the strength of our opinions, not an attempt to exercise raw judicial power. 
We do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe and Casey. And even if we could foresee what will happen, we would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply longstanding principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. Let me jump over here now to Ray. Hello, Ray. Welcome to the show. Hello, Hello Ray. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. What's up? I had a couple things to points I needed to make. Uh, I know it was a six to three decision, and I'm assuming Roberts was in that decision of the majority. Yes. Um, and that surprised me for one thing, and because he had the guts to do it. And another thing is, by them overturning this real controversial case, um, I'm wondering if that's an indication that they have the guts to overturn other controversial cases in the future what do you think i'm not sure it seemed like roberts uh, and i've not read his he wrote a concurring opinion so he yes he was part of the six three but he also wrote a separate little piece uh and uh not necessarily in dissent but he he made a different argument and um and then the others just ripped him to shreds over it (laughs) and uh I've not that, that's the assessment I have seen. I've not been able to read through it. And Justice Thomas has actually uh, in his concurrence, he talked about uh, dismantling these previous Supreme Court rulings that uh, utilize the 14th Amendment uh, in gay marriage rulings, for example, the gay marriage ruling. So uh, Thomas wants to take it where you're talking about that. Thomas, he wants to go all the way down that road because he says the Constitution was should never have been interpreted, should never have been used to create these, quote, rights uh, under the 14th Amendment. Now, w- yeah. will they all have the, will, will Roberts go along with those other things? I sincerely doubt that. Well, what do you think about the Supreme Court as a, as a whole, uh, them having the courage to do these kind of decisions in the future? What do you think about that? I, yeah, I don't know. It's going to depend on the case and the, uh, and, the individual uh, area that they're looking at. I, I, I don't know. Do you have, do you have a particular, do you have a particular case in mind? Do you have a particular case or issue in mind? No, I don't. I was just in general, you know, if, if this was real controversial and it came out, well, I guess the five would still be uh, pretty courageous to go the conservative route on their decisions. Yeah. Yeah. They very well might. Yeah, they very well might, Ray. I mean, I think people who want to be optimistic have uh, they've got reason and evidence to be so. Okay. All yeah. right. I appreciate it, Pete. Yeah, man. All right. Appreciate the call, Ray. Have a great weekend, sir. More on the starry decisis uh, point. This is the doctrine on which Casey's controlling opinion was based. It does not compel unending adherence to Roe v. Wade's abuse of judicial authority. Starry decisis. Well, I, I like to call it, the, well, that's the way we've always done it. Because they made a ruling before. We always got to follow this ruling now. That was precedential. We have to keep following it because it set this precedent. right? But, but what if it was a bad precedent? So we have to now follow a bad precedent forever and ever? We never get to fix something that was decided wrongly, like, I don't know, Dred Scott decision, right? Plessy v. Ferguson, huh? Right. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, is what the justices wrote. 
and they're entirely correct. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Starry Decisis, the doctrine on which Casey versus Planned Parenthood, that, that the, uh, the opinion was based on Starry Decisis using Roe. Right, so Roe comes along 73, and then when Casey comes along in 92, the court cites Starry Decisis citing Roe. They were like, well, you know, that's the way it was decided. We got to maintain that precedent while we blow up the viability thing. Anyway. Moving on. Um, he said, does not compel, the court says, that stare decisis does not compel unending adherence to Roe's abuse of judicial authority. That's, those are sharp elbows, you know. That's pretty scathing for the Supreme Court to say that about one of its own rulings. It's an abuse of judicial authority. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. That's from the ruling. Now, I mentioned uh, that Ed Whelan pointed out uh, there's only like six pages of difference in the ruling that we got today versus the leaked version from uh, a couple months ago, a couple weeks back, whatever. And uh, there's six pages, but I would just point out that these are not even real full pages. Have you ever read through these Supreme Court rulings and the like? I don't understand why this, why they, I really don't understand it. The way they print their pages, the margins on these rulings are like four inches on both sides. And... Like eight inches at the top and bottom. It, it like the the text of the actual ruling. You know, what I'm, if you've ever seen these court rulings, you know what I'm talking about. It's like on an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. It's like a note card size, or like two post-it note size worth of text right in the middle of the page, and they leave all this blank space all around the edge. I and I don't understand why that is. So. It's not a full six page. And then, of course, you have all of the citations, and that gobbles up a lot of the actual uh, words in there as well. So this, it's not fully six pages. But here's the difference. They go, they're, they're going after the dissent. So this is the key difference, according to Ed Whelan, uh, court watcher guy, uh, big Kavanaugh booster. He did a lot of work on uh, uh, ferreting out the, uh, the fake allegations. Anyway, Ed Whelan says... Uh, he points to page 69 through, um, I think it was 77. Anyway, the dissent argues that we have abandoned stare decisis, but we have done no such thing. And it's the dissent's understanding of stare decisis that breaks with tradition. It's not us, it's you. The dissent's foundational contention is that the court should never, or perhaps almost never, overrule an egregiously wrong constitutional precedent unless the court can point to a major legal or factual change undermining the decision's original basis. So that's the dissent's argument. The Democrats argued 
that you can never overturn, even if it's an unconstitutional ruling earlier, precedential, you cannot overturn it unless you can point to some sort of legal or factual change undermining the original basis. So did something change? He says, to support this contention, the dissent claims that Brown versus Board of Education, as well as other landmark cases overruling prior precedents, responded to changed law and to changed facts and attitudes that had taken hold throughout society. The unmistakable implication of this argument is that only the passage of time and new developments justify those decisions. Recognition that the cases they overruled were egregiously wrong on the day they were handed down was not enough. Think about what the, what the Democrats are, are arguing there in their dissent. They're saying that until Brown v. Board of Education, or let's go back to the Dred Scott decision, right? These, are, these were wrong decisions. They were wrong. At the time they were issued, they were wrong. And what the Democrats are saying on the court is that, well, eh, okay, but that was the ruling. And unless you could say that times changed and prove that times changed, then that makes it not wrong. The majority says the court has never adopted this strange new version of stare decisis, and with good reason. Does the dissent really maintain that overruling Plessy was not justified until the country had experienced more than a half century of state-sanctioned segregation and generations of black school children had suffered all of its effects? Here's another example. On the dissent's view, it must have been wrong for West Virginia Board of Ed v. Barnett to overrule the Minersville School District versus uh, Gobitis. A bare three years after it was handed down, in both cases... Children who were Jehovah's Witnesses refused on religious grounds to salute the flag or recite the Pledge of Allegiance. The Barnett Court did not claim that its reexamination of the issue was prompted by any intervening legal or factual developments. It was only three years later. So if the court had followed the dissent's new version of stare decisis, it would have been compelled to adhere to the first case, right? And they would have forced the Jehovah's Witness kids... To pledge allegiance to the flag. It was a wrong decision initially. That's the point. If it's the wrong decision initially, then stare decisis does not require you to keep following it. Precedent should be respected, they say, but sometimes the court makes mistakes and occasionally the court issues an important decision that is egregiously wrong. And when that happens, stare decisis is not a straitjacket. Indeed, the dissent eventually admits themselves that a decision could be overruled just because it is terribly wrong, although they don't explain when that would be so. Conveniently enough. So they offer so they open this door by saying, well, you know, we could totally override some old precedential ruling under stare decisis if it was really wrong. But we'll give you no criteria to determine that. They go on to say, even if the dissent was right in arguing that an egregiously wrong decision should almost never be overruled unless its mistake is later highlighted by major legal or factual changes. Re-examination of Roe and Casey would be justified, amply justified. We have already mentioned a number of post-Casey developments. 
Right. So even by this, even by the standard that the dissenters put forth, that you know uh, things have to change a lot. But the majority is saying, "Hey guys, things have changed a lot since Casey," and then they proceed to list them and talk about them. The most profound change may be the failure of the Casey plurality's call for the contending sides in the controversy about abortion to end their national division. It hasn't happened. And there's no reason to think that another decision sticking with Roe would achieve what Casey could not. The dissent, however, is undeterred. It contends that the very controversy surrounding Roe and Casey is an important stare decisis consideration, so we should uphold those precedents. The dissent characterizes Casey as a precedent about precedent that is permanently shielded from any future evaluation under traditional stare decisis principles. But as we have explained, Casey broke new ground when it treated the national controversy provoked by Roe v. Wade as a ground for refusing to reconsider that decision. And no subsequent case has relied on that factor ever since. Our decision today simply applies long-standing stare decisis factors instead of applying a version of the doctrine that seems to apply only in abortion cases. What are they doing? A consistent application of a standard. That's what they're doing. And maybe that's why I like it so much. All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I apologize for the incessant playing on repeat on the stream of the ads that are super annoying. I cannot do anything about it, uh, but I apologize. Sorry. I, I really am. Um, let me see here. I've got a tweet here from, who is this from? Heels? Go Heels. Uh, North Carolina Democrats haven't been this upset since Republicans took their slaves away. (laughs) Terrible. Terrible! But funny nonetheless. Uh, It's funny because it's true. From the uh, ruling that came down today that overturned Roe v. Wade, sending it back to the states, you feel, I gotta feel the need to point this out to a lot of people because they don't seem to understand this. It's now at the state level. You actually have more control, more influence over policy at the state level than you do at the national level. It's true. Yeah. They say uh, the, the majority opinion, again, this is, this is new versus the leaked version. All right. Um, the dissent suggests, the dissenters, the Democrats suggest that our decision calls into question Griswold, Eisenstadt, Lawrence, and Obergefell. These were the uh, Obergefell's the gay marriage. Lawrence was the Lawrence v. Texas on the sodomy laws. Anyway, um, we have stated unequivocally that nothing in this opinion should be understood to cast doubt on precedents that do not concern abortion. We have also explained why that is so. Rights regarding contraception, same-sex relationships, are inherently different from the right to abortion because the latter as we have stressed, uniquely involves what Roe and Casey termed potential life. Therefore, a right to abortion cannot be justified by a purported analogy to the rights recognized in those other cases or by appeals to a broader right to autonomy. It's hard to see how we could be clearer. Moreover, 
even putting aside that these cases are distinguishable, there's a further point that the dissenters ignore. Each precedent is subject to its own stare decisis analysis. And, uh, and the other factors uh, that our doctrine instructs us to consider, like reliance and workability, are different for these cases than for our abortion jurisprudence. Right. So each of the cases get their own review under stare decisis. You can't just keep building one after the other after the other and just say, well, you know, these the last one is okay, but the first one may not have been, or vice versa, and then you can't look at any others. You can't look at any of the universe of the cases that came from this one or any of the ones that followed because, you know, they're all connected. They then go after John Roberts <laughs> with a concurrence which reproves us for deciding whether Rowan Casey should be retained or overruled. That opinion recommends a more measured course, which it defends based on what it claims is a straightforward stare decisis analysis. The concurrence would leave for another day whether to reject any right to an abortion. So this is what John Roberts tried to do. He tried to leave it for another day. He tried to punt. The concurrence does not specify what period of time is sufficient to provide such an opportunity. But it would hold that 15 weeks, which is what was in the Mississippi law at issue, they'd say that that's enough. So there are serious problems with this approach, and it is revealing that nothing like it was recommended by either party in the lawsuit. As we have recounted, both parties have urged us to either reaffirm or overrule Roe and Casey. That's what they asked for. But here you see Roberts trying to find a middle ground. This, to me, is the most unseemly part of how Roberts operates. It real, this, is, this is the most egregious. Like, dude, just if you want to go... If you want to go and rule with the, the left, then just do that, you know? But this, this horse trading crap, that's the stuff that angers me. Because in his supposed efforts to protect the legacy of this court, he's just undermining it because this is obvious horse trading, right? He, this is political actions. He's trying to, well, how about we just don't go this far? We just go pull up a little bit short so that we're not going to upset everything. That's not law, man. Right. When the specific approach advanced by the concurrence was broached at oral arguments, both parties rejected it. So Roberts was trying to force this. He, they brought it up in the oral arguments, but both the plaintiffs and the defendants were like, we don't want you to do that. They're like, we want you to decide either stand with Roe or turn it over. Those were the options. Those that's what the parties wanted. And Roberts, when he floated it during the oral arguments, they were both like, no, we don't want that. <laughs> but there's Roberts again, trying it again. Just, oh, what a disappointment, you know? What a disappointment. But hey, you know what? It's Friday. Unless you get caught up in the night of rage tonight, hope you have a really fantastic weekend. Two six-packs of Shiner, 99-cent butane lighter. Lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron Ice down that igloo cooler Take a guess at all to do her I can feel a good one coming on Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard Sing along to Redneck Mother Any blues I have
Another working week is over No chance of staying sober I can feel a good one coming on Top Mustang followed us down to the lake and didn't have to think about that too long. Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight, situation couldn't be more right. I can feel a good one coming on. Yeah, we Alrighty, a reminder, if you and your family and your friends are looking for something to do on July 4th, well, why not just go to the best 4th of July fireworks show in the Southeast? It's the WBT Sky Show at Truist Field, Uptown. Get all the details at WBT.com. Don't miss this amazing show. WBT.com. I'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>